If you or a loved one has been diagnosed with an acute obsession of true crime, caught discussing tragic events with unwilling participants, or kept awake at night by the paranormal or just plain absurd, you've found the right place. All others, beware of catching this dangerous bug as we begin to talk about the facts. Welcome back, my friends. It is yet another episode of Let's Talk About the Facts. And this is my favorite number, episode 14. I don't really announce the number, but you know, it is a favorite. Now we are still in November, so that means that we are focusing on Native American history and causes right now. So for those of us who don't like still know us or just joining in, um, there may still be many of you tuning in for the first time. We are a podcast about cold cases, bizarre phenomena, and the wildest story that I felt like researching. And apparently, I'm also a history podcast. Last week, we talked about how Hawaii became a state, and that was wild. So... I think we might start talking about a little bit of history that our teachers didn't teach us. So oftentimes we have a lot of fun and get to laugh and make fun of the villains of our stories. And we always promote like victims and advocate for victims' rights and make sure that we are very protective of people who have gone through these terrible tragedies. But in these next few episodes we're not talking about ghost stories aliens and whatnot uh we're going to have to take a solemn turn at least for the, our longtime listeners they may not be used to us being a little bit more serious so heads up on that and so with me today is yet another fan favorite kelly larson what up Indeed. And at least she's one of my favorites because she's well-versed in the topic that we are going to hit today. But I believe she is unaware of the cases that I'm going to bring up. So welcome back to the show, Kelly. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Of course. And anybody who's new listening to the show, Kelly joined us for the episodes of 10 Urban Legends. That was our first patchwork episodes and Island of the Dolls both for spooky season we had a lot of fun on those and she's here again to lend her brain her comments and her experience but also her outrage so (laughs) which i have a lot of if you don't oh yes i have a lot of outrage this is going to be a big one Mm -hmm. so again it's november and it's known for native american history month and literally nothing else we ignore the rest um We still have constant atrocities happening toward our Native American brethren and sistren and non-binary person-ren, human-ren, if you will. And I feel, personally, that it's time to continue to talk about these things in a way to where we continue to bring it up in a manner that is constructive and how can we fix this we have things like black lives matters 
to assist the black community in helping them with issues that the white community essentially is pressing down on them. And the native community has had so many things, but their voice is not being heard as prominently as it should be right now, especially by mass media. And so we wanted to, again, focus our episodes on things that we felt should be heard. So today, this is going to be an episode geared toward missing and murdered Indigenous women, which is an epidemic that's across Canada and the United States. In Canada, it's considered a genocide, essentially, and it should be considered that also in the United States, but it's not, as you know the United States is. Hmm. But this is huge. It's so important and we cannot let this continue to happen it's like as a woman as a human being you hear this about your fellow women and if it doesn't just like stab you in the heart I don't know what you're doing with your life I don't know how you can't hear that Indigenous women from your country, states away maybe, or in your state, are in this position where they are being targeted just because of who they are. And it's not, it's not okay. It's the same for black women. They are targeted because of who they are. And again, not okay. You cannot be neutral on this. Being neutral is a privilege And so we are not being neutral and we are taking a stand and we wanted to dedicate this entire episode and probably a little more, um, I say a little, it's going to be a lot more, to (laughs) making sure that people who are affected by this are being heard and that the police know that we will not back down and we want these women protected. We want them found and we do not want this number going up. So there is a website that you can go to called nativewomenswilderness.org. And I'd like to read a bit of their intro because it really does bring into perspective this epidemic. So they, this is all entirely a quote. It says, the numbers are staggering. Our women and girls are being taken from us in an alarming way. Our women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than other ethnicities, and it's the third leading cause of death of our women by the Center of Disease Control. The majority of these murders are committed by non-Native people on Native-owned land. Because of the lack of communication between state, local, and tribal law enforcement, it's difficult to begin the investigation process. 5,712, the number of known incidents of missing and murdered Native American women in 2016. These numbers speak for themselves, yet it's surprising 
how few people actually know about these events. 84% of Native American women will have experienced violence in their lifetime. We can't begin to tell you about the violence that our women face. It's not just on reservations. It's down the street. It's in your urban neighborhood. It's in homes. It's everywhere. And hashtags for you to look into more about this would be hashtag MMIW, hashtag no more stolen sisters, hashtag not invisible, hashtag MMIWG, and hashtag MMIWG2S, the number two. So basically what has quietly happened that of course has surpassed not surpassed so much as like passed under the national media's attention as per usual when it comes to anything that's not white people um, is that Native American women are being targeted by serial assaulters they're being treated like they are expendable that they don't matter their claims aren't being taken seriously they have not been able to have tribal law enforcement be respected by non-tribal law enforcement. So in states where there are, um, you know, the major city and then you have the tribal law enforcement, they can't work together for whatever reason. Usually it's a pissing contest. Um, And that's definitely geared towards the city cops, the non-native cops. And we all know how that goes. And it's just deplorable. It's truly deplorable that rather than coming together to find a missing woman or to solve a murder investigation, we have non-native human beings who refuse to work together, in my opinion. It's a good opinion. It's a right opinion. (laughs) Definitely. I can't say that's the truth in everything because sometimes there are jurisdictional issues and you know how that goes, which I think are fucking stupid. Like if a tribal law enforcement reaches out for help, they should immediately get it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's... They're fucking Americans. Yeah. I mean, you do see it even between counties and cities now. If you ask a sheriff's department to talk to a police department they're two totally separate entities and most times they hate each other and it's stupid it's a pissing match it totally is and who's the person that gets the short end of the straw the citizens exactly and i don't want to go into police right now (laughs) because that's not what we're talking about but The focus should be on the person who is in harm. Exactly. And to prevent harm from coming to citizens in the future. And honestly, all they're doing is making sure that this epidemic continues in droves, really. Yeah. So to illustrate a point, um, I decided to talk about two separate cases with Kelly. One of them is a case that has stuck with me for nearly 20 years. I heard about it 
on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and I have hoped that she was found, and I checked in on it every, I honestly think, at least once a year to see if there was ever an update or any sort of kind of, I don't know, movement on her case, and you'll find out. But for 20 years, I wanted to know what happened to this little girl. And I wanted to share that with you all and Kelly as an example that this isn't a recent problem. This is so pervasive in our history and is continuing to happen and we're at this point in history right now where we are banded together and we say no more. We don't take it quietly. And we know that this country hates women. So it's time to fight back. And we have been fighting back. And I don't think that there is enough of us fighting for the right for Native women to live because either they didn't know that this was a problem they because mass media doesn't cover it um a friend of mine when I was discussing about this episode before I was going to present it to you Kelly um mentioned that he had heard a CNN like bit about covering missing and murdered indigenous women and they acted like it was brand new and he was just like just because you found out about it does not mean it's new yeah like that's the white perspective oh yeah the white perspective is if they've never heard it it never existed before that moment indeed indeed and there's this woman i highly respect on twitter her name is deb Schilling. i believe her handle is deb Schilling. um Highly recommend following her. She posts every single day about missing and murdered indigenous women. And I love that I see that because I don't forget about these women. And though I don't retweet it to my timeline, um, I think I have a few times, but I don't retweet it to my timeline, not because it's not my jam, but it's one of those mental health things for myself. It's a personal choice. I yeah. appreciate having her remind everyone who follows her that these women are there and they're waiting to be found. And it doesn't matter if they're dead or alive. It doesn't matter what kind of life they've led. It doesn't matter. Like, just because they're not a blonde cheerleader doesn't mean they didn't have worth. And it kills me every single time I hear these stories. And there's another podcast, all of you true crime fans, huge fan of this podcast called The Murder Squad. It has Paul Holes, who helped catch the Golden State Killer, and then Billy Jensen, who's a crime reporter. And they've been covering a lot of 
missing and murdered indigenous women specific cases, they are more technically detailed than I am. So if you're looking for a story and you don't mind gory details and technicalities, I really encourage you to listen to some of theirs about missing and murdered um, indigenous women because they'll speak to actual people who are on the case um, since they're both able to access those people and um, you'll learn a lot about what really is happening on the ground so that all being said I will jump into our first case and this is the story of Antoinette Cayadito. So, we're going to travel back in time to April of 1986. Are you ready, Kelly? I am so ready. Let's go for it. Let's just do make, this. I was like, just making sure, because I've been on a soapbox. <laughs> um, so, nine-year-old Antoinette Cayadito disappeared on April 6th in 1986. So, how it happened was her mother... Woke up that morning, and she was surprised that Antoinette wasn't home. And so she's panicking. She's looking all over the house. Um, Her younger sister, Wendy, was there, who was five at the time. But she starts checking with everyone in the neighborhood, and nobody has seen her. She then calls the police, and her neighbors search around, like, you know, the surrounding foothills. But there's no trace of her. Um, the authorities are almost certain she was kidnapped during the middle of the night. So the police basically were like, I don't know. Um, so, so the wait, the police made, they left it to the friends and family to do a search. This is 1986. They still, oh man, continue, sorry. Mm-hmm. I have opinions. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) I have a lot of opinions. Don't (laughs) worry. At the end of this, I'm going to roast this whole story. Yeah. So a year passes, right? Mm -hmm. And a call for help comes into the police station. So they were in Gallup, New Mexico, which used to be a part of, it may still be a part of, um, a Navajo land reservation and Antoinette herself was half Navajo okay um obviously that's why she's part of this episode she still matters no matter what but that's why she's part of this episode and so there's a feminine young voice on the phone claiming to be Antoinette she'd be about 10 years old at the time uh stating that she's in Albuquerque and before she could tell the dispatcher where she is an unidentified male voice comes to her and she And he's like, who said you could use the phone? The girl screams, and then the call ends. So the police have a recording of the call because it was a 911 dispatcher, Mm -hmm. essentially. And she was, they play it for um, the mother, Penny. And she was certain that the voice was her daughter. And she said, especially based on the way that she said her name. However, she did not recognize the man's voice. The police did try to trace the call, but they were really, they couldn't really do much. It was only 40 seconds long. 
And at the time, they didn't have that kind of technology. Yeah. So the call did give the family hope that she may still be alive. Mm -hmm. So five years later after that, so this is six years after her disappearance. So she's about 15 now? Yes. Okay. Um, Age-progressed photographs are released of Antoinette. And a waitress calls, and she comes forward, and she feels like she has seen Antoinette at a restaurant that she worked at. She recalled serving a table, and there was a male and a female, and they were very scruffy-looking and weird and white. Um, And then a girl around the age of 14 or 15, and she noted that they were all kind of unkept because they looked like they had been struggling. Mm -hmm. And so the girl, apparently, she, like, dropped her utensils intentionally. And so the waitress apparently picked them up for her. And when that happened, the girl grabbed her hand. But the waitress thought nothing of it and went about her business. And then they all left the restaurant. So when the waitress cleared the table... She noticed a napkin under the girl's plate with a message, please help me call the police. So, right. Could have been, could have not been, could have been someone who happened to look like her. We don't know. Either way, that's a creepy situation. Yeah, I would have feel horrible to be that waitress. Um, So that sighting also brought some hope to Antoinette's family. And one month later, investigators decided to re-interview witnesses involved in the case. So they spoke to her sister, Wendy, who had been five at the time, and she was now 10, probably about to be 11. And she told investigators that she had actually witnessed Antoinette's abduction. Wendy said that around 3 a.m. there was a knock at the door. When Antoinette went to answer it, that person said that it was, quote, Uncle Joe, end quote. Then two men grabbed her, and when they asked why Wendy hadn't come forward sooner, Wendy said that she was scared and afraid that she would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when you see your older sister kidnapped in front of you. I, I don't know. Imagine. I have comments on that, too, so we're going to talk about it. Sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. Please go. (laughs) This story is bananas. Um, So basically, investigators cleared this Uncle Joe because there was an Uncle Joe that had been married to Penny's sister, but they were he was divorced and had an alibi. So like this made them think though that. The abductors knew the family and knew how to get in the door. Yeah. Um, So later in 1992, Penny goes to a Navajo medicine woman, and she hopes to learn more about Antoinette's whereabouts. The medicine woman did a special ceremony that's done in hopes of contacting the spirit of a missing person. So according to the medicine woman... Antoinette was still alive and may have a child, but she was being held against her will somewhere in the southwest United States. Investigators in Antoinette's family 
were still searching for her and hope that she was still alive as of 1992. So the suspects were Antoinette's abductors were believed to be two adult males based on what Wendy witnessed. They may have known her family as they claimed that they were her, quote, Uncle Joe, end quote. However, the couple as the girl resembled, as the girl resembling her, witnessed by the waitress, were a man and a woman who were described as rather unkempt. Mm -hmm. So the case first aired on December 23rd, 1992, on Unsolved Mysteries. So... Currently, it is an unsolved case, and investigators do believe that Antoinette is deceased. And if she was still alive, she'd be about 42. Um, so Penny, the mother, passes away in 1999. But before her death, the police had wanted to question her again about Antoinette's disappearance. But her death did complicate that in that part. Um police believe that she knew more than she said about Antoinette's abduction um, because of some reasons. And then Antoinette's father, Anthony, um, passed away in 2012. So here is what I have to say about this. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Well, first of all, there is a Jane Doe called the Apache Junction Jane Doe. And I kind of thought that might have been her. And somebody else mentioned it too. And then it was cleared that it was not her. Um, So there's the Doe Network. I don't know. Do you know about the Doe Network? No. Is that? So it's like a volunteer basis. Oh, okay. And it's actually a really cool, like it's all volunteer And they basically are assisting investigating agencies to bring closure to national and international cold cases concerning missing and unidentified persons. So, yeah, and they're the ones who start giving people, like, specific names. Yeah. So, like, instead of just everyone being Jane Doe, they give them specific names like... um, the Apache Junction. Okay. Uh, Doe, or, well, at the time, Jane Doe. But, uh, so it's a really, really cool network. Um, if you or a loved one has gone missing, I like how I just said you, but <sighs> <laughs> if someone hey, you if know, you're a face on the milk carton, you never know. You never know. But they do feature cases of people who have gone missing and never were found again. They also have um, unidentified remains, um, and it links to the NamUs files. Uh, so it's just donutwork.org, and it's really, really interesting. Um, and you could submit a match. Like, if you think you know who one of these unidentified people are, you're able to do that. So, like, I know that someone sent in uh, the Apache Junction um, Jane Doe as a possible, like, answer for Antoinette. And Mm. they did rule it 
um, that it wasn't, it wasn't possible genetically. She was of Mexican descent and Antonetta's Navajo and Italian based on her father. Okay. But there's also the Charlie Project. I don't know if you know that one. No. It profiles over 13,000 cold cases of missing people, mainly from the U.S. It does not actively investigate cases. It's just a public, like a publicity vehicle for missing people who are often neglected by the press and forgotten too soon. So a person must have been missing for at least a year to be listed on the Charlie Project. So it's kind of cool. Like, I, I say cool. This is all terrible stuff. But it's the fact that, like, there's a way to see these people and they're never forgotten. Not totally. And if, like, so this situation with Antoinette, I don't think she'll be forgotten. And if by some means her body is recovered or if a match comes up like dna wise um we may find answers one day you know yeah and so the node network and the charlie project are just two ways that are so helpful that law enforcement can't they didn't do it they didn't do that themselves somebody else had to come by and do that and so back to the story now that i've talked about those um so penny the mother was known to go out and play it a little loose if you will which is her prerogative but when she brings it home where she has young daughters that's irresponsible right like yeah don't get drunk and high and come home and pass out like that um she did fail a polygraph test and a few like weeks after Antoinette goes missing she bought a new car so, here's another question. Why was Antoinette answering the door at 3 a.m.? That was my question. Is like, why? where was Penny? Why was Penny? Why was Penny? Who was Penny? But it's, I mean, my, I have to be honest, my mind goes straight to human trafficking. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's odd. This is like a classic human trafficking case, especially since she called, because usually if it's a serial killer in child abductive cases they're killed within like 48 hours yeah it's 24 hours 24 hours after 24 hours it's it becomes like a body recovery that they're looking for right so So the the fact fact that that she called and it was what a year after at that point yeah human trafficking and then that's why my mind thinks that like it still could be her at the restaurant because yeah. who knows in who knows who's in charge in that network, or who purchased who purchased her, and why did it, like all of those questions, mm-hmm. um, what for? And then, I mean, believe what you want about the spiritual advisor and everything, but if you're gonna go with that, then yeah, I completely like believe that she would be pregnant at 18, probably with her abuser's child, and she's still being held captive. That's yeah, that's one believable. Of, one um, of my big points was uh, white girls aren't the only objects of desire, and she could have been singled out by a predator. And that's why it makes sense that her mom was a floozy. Sorry, but bringing home 
men that it's just irresponsible i'm sorry with your small children that haven't been vetted um yeah it, I don't want to, like, you know, discount somebody's lifestyle. Like, no. Because it is your right to do it, that. But. It is your right to have sex. You can totally have sex. But your first responsibility as a mother is your children. And if you're going to have sex with a complete stranger, anyone's, like, mother or otherwise, I will always tell women this, be smart. Yeah. Be smart. Where are you taking them to? I would recommend getting a hotel room because who knows about even if even if they're not a murderer they could be a stalker exactly So like don't take them to your home and so she had taken this man to her home and he had seen oh she has two young girls and if he had been if he had friends that knew about the opportunities there you go easily men are trash like men are awful okay i could get on that soapbox for 45 minutes but men are just like they're opportunistic women too women can be very opportunistic i'm not saying women women can absolutely be be trash yeah women can be trash but like statistically statistically men can be a bit more creepy they can be a bit more opportunistic they can be a bit more emotionless so and in this case like this quote-unquote Uncle Joe, was this another man or, like, by the same name? Like, was this a friend of Penny? Did he That's the use... thing is if she, not- if she noticed, the, like, the voice of a guy who had been around a lot. Yeah. You don't I know. just, like, six, I don't know if I buy the story because five years later, Wendy remembers this. And five-year-olds at the time, they're not too young. They're not. So in my mind, it feels like classic coaching or mortal fear of a parent and repercussions. That's where my mind went, is that when she's five, her mom's telling her to shut up. Yeah. Don't say anything. Whether it's in fear of the cops or in fear of someone else. Definitely. But like... At the age of 10, she's like, oh, no, I I remember that. And she would forget that her mom told her to shut up. Because at that point, she has been coached enough to remember something. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that, you know, Wendy's lying. I No, I wouldn't put this on that kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on Wendy. It's it's on the mom for something being off. Because when you watch her in the interviews on Unsolved Mysteries... I don't believe her. Like the there's mom? some yeah, there's something off about it. Yeah. I don't believe her. And and this you know, is where like the writer in me, my mind goes places where it's like if she wasn't hiding something about her daughter, she was hiding about something else. And I mean, what's worse than that? So it people can think they're going to get repercussions for the weirdest things. Oh, that's true. But the father is yeah. nowhere in this story. You just like don't he's know. well, he's not in the unsolved mysteries episode. I don't. I have never read anything about her father until I got this update that he died in 2012. Yeah, I was like, "There's a father." Yeah. Um, and some people have suggested that Antoinette was taken due to owed money for drugs. But then, like, explain this new car, and like, women are often blamed for being quote-unquote drug addicts but in this case like penny is not 
she's not genuine in her interviews and this friend he seemed to like use this ruse may have known the children let's say that Wendy's story is accurate and everything that we know is accurate but this man used this ruse and knew that the children like took care of themselves because Penny was generally out of it and was not much of a homemaker and he knew Antoine or Antoinette is gonna take charge and be the one to open the door yeah but something, my, something doesn't add up at the end of the day. Something really doesn't. I don't know about it. Like, in the middle of the night? And also, if it's 3 a.m. What is that child doing up? Well, yeah, why are they both up? Why were they taught to open the door? That's, like, the, like, the number one parenting rule is you tell your kids, don't open the door if I'm not home. Ever. Even so, if you know the person, don't open the door. Ever. Like, still... If there's a child listening right now, why are you listening? Terrible parenting, but also never open the door. Yeah. Uh, Also, parents, if you're listening or someone who's about to be a parent, tell your kids to never open the door. No matter what, even even if it's someone you know. Yeah. Even if you know them, you just don't open the door. Because, again, it goes back to the whole what we talked about um, in the 10 stories that we did a couple weeks ago. Stranger danger is kind of a myth. It can yeah. be people that you know. Oh, so absolutely. So, like, I don't care if you say, like, oh, but the neighbors are cool. You can trust them. Tell your kids, never open the door. Yeah. Have because... have a neighbor that they can definitely go to if there's something wrong, but don't open the door. Well, also, like, there's been cases where somebody trusted came, like, came to the door under duress. And there was somebody with them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you just don't know. You don't know. Except I do have to say that's one of my biggest pet peeves of the movie Halloween, where Jamie Lee Curtis is like limping across the street and bangs on the door of the next door neighbor, and they just like turn off the porch lights. And I'm like, she's dying. <laughs> you oh my, jerk. I, I was like, call nine one one for her. Oh my god. Yeah, like, that's like, the least. Call nine one one at least, but. But um, those are all of my questions that I have for this case. I definitely feel like she was trafficked. Oh, yeah. No, that's that I think is where the police should be right now. But I agree with their part where they said that, you know, she died. The police wanted to question her again because she failed that polygraph. And also. How did they know that Antoinette died? No, no. uh, Penny, the mother. Oh, okay. But you said that they said that they think that she died. Well, they assume that she's deceased because it's been 35 years. Yeah, I could like, see that. I could also see someone just being so deeply brainwashed after. Yeah. It's like a face on the milk carton situation. But at the same time, <clears throat> I covered the disappearance of Morgan Nick. And I i mean, I hope she's still alive. Brainwashed or not. Yeah. Um, I hope that she's still alive and I hope You hope to, like, all of these women are still alive at the end of the so day. True. No one wants to wish that someone who has been kidnapped is dead. Like that is the last thing that you want. And unfortunately it happens, but like you just kidnapping cases are terrible. Right. But we did cast a pretty heavy shadow on Penny. 
I don't, at the end of the day, even though I have a lot of questions about her, I actually do not think that she did anything so much as... She's hiding something. That's she, all. Yeah, she's hiding something. And trafficking young Native American women... It's, sound, a, it's a thing. It's, it's a, a huge, huge thing. thing in America. Yes. There's a huge amount of Native American women that go missing every day. And... That's the, what we're talking about, yep, you know. That's that's what we're talking about. It, it's and that's a why she could, on our nation. Yeah, she could very much be alive right now, mm-hmm. and and she could have passed due to overdose or something like that. But there is a possibility that she has children that are alive, and yeah. if they did a genealogy situation, there may be a chance to find answers. Yeah, so. I do hope that one day this is resolved. Um, but I wanted to bring this case up. One, because if anyone has anything and knows anything, contact yeah. the Gallup Police Department. I don't have their number. Google is free. Also, okay. like in, in any cases, if if you know anything, do some research, especially like women like the waitress. If yeah, you think she's... that something's off, just do some basic googling it's always worth just checking it out because you see these situations where like the little boy in palmdale where there were so many opportunities to save his life and everybody fumbled and it's just a gross situation where this little boy was essentially beaten to death and child services had been called so many times yeah. And if one person had been like, yo, we need to stop this. Somebody take him out of the house. That yeah. boy would be alive today. Well, I mean, not only just cases like that. There's cases of kids who get kidnapped in, in neighboring districts who um, their cases aren't shared with yes. the counties next door because of the pissing contests that sheriff departments and police unions have um but like there's there's a great there's a great podcast you should always listen to this podcast but if you wanted to listen to a true true crime podcast it's called into the dark Mm -hmm. and it's looking into the story of the little boy that went missing i think it's in missouri where it's the case that spurned on Amber's list and everything to get child molesters and everything onto a grid because of the fact that the guy, it was actually in the middle of the podcast that they found the guy who did it. Wow. And this case was back in the 90s or 80s. We might have to tweet that. Yeah, we might have to tweet that, but it's, it's the story of this guy who's found in the middle of the podcast and like due to the the fact that this woman was calling these sheriff's departments and basically calling out their ignorance of not asking the right questions yeah and they had let this guy go because they didn't share the the sheriff's department in another county let pulled this guy over saw a jacket a kid's jacket in the back seat 
and let him go because the sheriff's department of the county where the kid went missing did not share enough information about what that kid was wearing to other districts. Dear Lord. So it's, as a citizen, don't trust that the police have all the info or are sharing enough info. Mm -hmm. Always, always provide what you can. And also, like... In this situation, we have Antoinette's story, and I am so glad it got the public attention that it did, but there's so many missing children, especially children of color, yes. that don't get the publicity that they should. Oh, yeah, because and, it's always it's always the white boys, the white girls who get plastered on the front of the newspaper. Yeah. And then, the, like, especially Native American children, as we're talking about today, they don't even get the front page. They don't even get the second or third page either. No, they don't. It's usually just a footnote. Yeah. And then police like to say, oh, they just probably ran away. I hate that. I I, I feel can't like... stand when police officers say that. Like, oh, nine out of ten times they run away. I'm like, hey. I don't care. Even if they ran away, you should investigate it. Yeah, you should also be finding them. Yeah, if and they ran away, go get them. Like they were, they are missing. So. Like, if they are not home, then they are not safe. And I feel like no matter what, if you get a report of a child who is no longer present where they should be, no matter what, under like the age of 16. But honestly, it happens with adults. That's it's thing. ridiculous. If, if a person isn't where they should be, you call the police. And they should take it seriously no matter what. Yeah. A sane adult human just told you. I am worried about the safety of this person. Like, take it seriously and investigate it. Stop being an ass. Yep. Okay. So, we're about to go into the next case. And I am going to say, hold tightly to those tater tots. Gird all of your loins. Because okay. this is not a pleasant story. We don't have answers to Antoinette's case. We have answers to this case. Oh, boy. And I'm just going to apologize now on behalf of myself. But it's very important. And yeah. Okay. So this is Savannah LaFontaine Greywind. So she was 22. And she was living with her parents and brother in a basement apartment in Fargo, North Dakota. So this is 2017, and she was about to move into her own apartment with her boyfriend of seven years. His name was Ashton, M I think it was pronounced Matheny, but I did my best. And in September, she was about to have their first child. So she had recently gotten a job as a nursing assistant and planned to work towards becoming a full nurse specializing in elder care which is adorable um so savannah was really close with her family and she was a member of the spirit lake sioux tribe although she was moving out of her family home she had no doubt that she and her family would maintain a very strong bond um it's worth noting also that her boyfriend was also a member of the spirit lake sioux tribe okay so the apartment above the gray winds which was apartment number five, was occupied by two people 
Their names were Willem, or sorry, William Hone, H-O-E-H-N. I'm going to go with Hone. Okay. And Brooke Cruz. They are 32 and 38, respectively. So the two of those people, they became romantically involved in about 2014, and they moved to the Fargo building in 2016. So that just gives you like an approximation of how quickly all this happened and also how recently. Mm-hmm. They were known for fighting so bad that it shook the ceilings of the apartment below. So not long after they moved in, Hone had to, um, he pleaded guilty to assaulting Cruz, the woman. Um, what was her first name? Do I care? Brooke. Um, Brooke. Sorry, I hate this woman. <laughs> um, to assaulting Cruz and because he threw her into the bathtub. So the court ordered that he have no contact with her. But of course, six months later, police responded to another disturbance. And they found him in the apartment. So he was charged with violating the no contact order. Why am I shocked? I'm not. Not shocked at all. What is it with... You know, I had this conversation with my roommate today about, like, women going back to abusive men. And what up with that? Domestic violence situations are very complicated. I know. we We were discussing it, like, in regards to children. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was, it, it was bananas. The cycle of abuse and the, the psychological torture of how abusers are able to manipulate their victims. So true. Is something that like, if you're not in it, you don't understand it. It's so true. And like, and like I can't, I can't blame Brooke in this situation. Oh, you can so later. Far. Yeah. I when- can later, but right now you just you don't get it and they don't understand it until they are able to make it known that they want out and seek therapy and seek you know the stability the foundation of finding that help elsewhere it's just going to continue and it can it can turn them toxic it can turn a victim toxic I think that both of them found each other, and they both were toxic humans. You'll find out soon. Okay. And they, like... I just wanted to put an asterisk... No, you were totally right. ...on any domestic violence victim that, like... You were so correct. Thank you for doing that. Get out, because it'll turn... It could turn you into an abuse. Like, the cycle can turn on you. And that's also to say that it's not just between romantic partners. Domestic mm-hmm. violence also occurs between parents and children. Yep. Between siblings and also between um, just living partners. Yes. You um, can, yeah. Either there, way, yeah. your trauma can somehow turn you into the abuser. Some, yeah. So someone you before, don't want to be. Yeah. Someone you don't want to be. It can turn you toxic. Get out. Well, you still know who you are. Yeah. So um, that's my soapbox. Sorry. 
No, I love your soapbox, and I'm so glad. You rein me in when I forget <laughs> to, like, I'm just like, story, story, story. And I'm no, like, oh, it's yeah, okay. there's, it's okay. there's points to hit there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Cruz, let me give you some more information about them. Cruz and Hone each had several run-ins with the law before they met. Both had, like, a long string of partners before meeting each other. How do they do that? I don't know. Like, it's bananas to me, but okay. So with these respective partners, Cruz had as many as seven children, and Hone had two children. My God, keep it in your pants, sir. No, Cruz is the woman. Oh, wait, Cruz had the seven? Yes, Brooke. Jesus Christ. She's popping out babies. When she's the one that really shouldn't be. Neither had any contact with their kids from previous relationships. I'm just saying red flag. Yeah. Like, if your children, none of your children speak to you, you're the problem. Yeah, you are definitely the problem there. Like, if you feel none of your family speaks to you and you feel like, oh, but I'm still right. No. Yeah, that's that's an issue. That's not how that works. Like, you might be the crazy one. Mm-hmm. You are the problem. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Now, if none of your family speaks to no one, what's that mean? I don't know. Y'all fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cruz in particular had been sued repeatedly, the woman, uh, Baruch, for not paying child support. Which is, like, you know, surprising. You're expecting yeah. it to be hone but i mean seven babies what you gonna do with that so savannah and her family did not know that couple well but you know you just see people in passing like i know a lot of my neighbors like fairly well Mm -hmm. and like we see each other we chat in the hall they pet my dog which amy loves she's like i've never been petted before can you she doesn't pet me and i'm like you fucking liar (laughs) It's okay. We know our upstairs neighbors well because they like to have bowling balls attached to their five children's feet. Five? They've got at least four. There's eight people living upstairs in a three-bedroom apartment. Do they also have a mariachi band? I don't know, but they're awful, and they, like, keep leaving the water running, which then creates leaks into our apartment. And no matter how many times our building manager talks to them, they just don't get it. They violated the lease at least like twelve times, and our bill, our owner won't kick them out. I have there's no love lost between us. So you should send them a mariachi band. Basically, that's what I think I should do. I I honestly don't see why not. I could be part of that mariachi band. I'd look great in those pants. I know. I I. Would, they look good on short people. I would look snappy. I love female mariachi bands. Oh. Uh. There's one in Di- uh, Disneyland in California Adventure. They had um, an all-female mariachi band play. What? And I am obsessed with them. Yeah. Side note. Note to self. You just made a horrible story. Like, sidetrack into something pleasant. I know. I have... Let's get back to yeah, the Yeah, let's get back to the... <laughs> let's get back to the story. <laughs> okay, so... According to Brooke... I'm going to start calling her Brooke Mm -hmm. because it's going to get confusing. 
According to Brooke, in January of 2017, she had told Hone that he she was pregnant after he threatened to leave her. Classic. So Hone found out that Cruz lied to him about the pregnancy. Enraged, right? He is just throwing shit. He is super mad. And he tells her to produce a baby or he is out. Wow. That is wild. Why would you want to keep someone like that? Why would... This is what I'm saying! Why would you give give a crazy woman who faked a pregnancy an ultimatum? Why would you do that? Give me a fucking baby, bitch. Or I'm out. Don't. Words matter, people. Words matter. She says after I just spouted that off. Oh, man. Um, so, you know, Brooke thinks of a plan. She makes a plan. I already know where this is going, and I hate it. That's so smart. She goes downstairs and asks eight months pregnant Savannah to model a dress for her. That she had made. And she offers her 20 bucks to do it. And Savannah's like, yeah, why not? Because she doesn't think much of it. And she was known to be a very kind and generous person. She wants to work with old people. Like, honestly. I'm still, I'm bracing for impact here, Fury. I'm bracing for impact. <laughs> oh, don't worry. This is going to be dragged the fuck out. So, at 124, Savannah had texted her mother. And also her boyfriend, because she was responsible. And she let them know about her plans to go help Brooke, right? Yeah. But she had also ordered a pizza for lunch to share with the family. By the time it arrived, she had to go leave if she was going to be on time to help Brooke with this dress. So the pizza sat on the countertop just cooling. Of course, she's thinking, or we're thinking she's thinking... That she's going to be able to eat it after she's done. Probably kick back, watch a movie. I don't know. Go pick up her brother from work. The end. But she never comes back. So, Norberta Greywind, which is Savannah's mother. Her name is Norberta, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Replied to Savannah's text about helping Brooke, but never heard back. Her boyfriend, Ashton, doesn't hear back either. So Norberta, Norberta, sorry, blows up her phone all through the afternoon. No answer. And that's not like Savannah, because she's 22. And yeah. I feel like I answered that. Yeah. Um, I mean, then again, I either res- like respond immediately or I respond four hours later. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, it's been a minute, and at the Gray Wind apartment, the cold pizza is still on the counter. Savannah's purse is there. Her car is parked in its spot, and she was supposed to give her brother a ride to work, but she didn't show up, so Norberta had to take him anyway. So, it got to about 4 p.m., and Norberta's worried, like, Savannah, they haven't heard from her. She's eight months pregnant. Did something happen? And so she 
um, went and knocked on the door. And when Brooke arrives, she tells Norberta that Savannah left around 245. A now, likely story. <laughs> I already know. I'm, oh, I'm so mad. Norberta knew that her daughter wouldn't have just, like, walked off. Um, because her feet were swollen and painful recently from that, the pregnancy. Yeah, so, a pregnant woman doesn't go out jogging at eight months. Brooke. I, yeah, Brooke, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but if she was going anywhere, she would have taken her purse and she would have been driving. Yeah, duh. Furthermore, Norberta didn't like them. Like, they trust were... your mom's instincts sometimes. I know. You know, I don't know if she be. had um, told Savannah not to do it. But no, no, no. If your mom says, I don't trust those people, I don't like those people, don't interact with them. Nine out of ten times, your mom's going to be right. I can't say that, like, there was a... I can't say to my knowledge that they had a conversation and she was told to not interact with them. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like... Norberta didn't like that they were constantly fighting and mm-hmm. like Brooke had come to the apartment, asked Savannah, like Savannah is eight months pregnant and Brooke's like, want to smoke some weed? And Savannah's like, no, baby. Like what? Mm. So at 4.30, Norberta's had it. She's fucking had it. She's like, Fargo PD. Where's my daughter? (laughs) So the police officers come to the apartment building by 5 p.m. So they speak to Norberta. They make their way upstairs to the apartment number five. Savannah's last known whereabouts. They search the apartment twice on October 19th and then again on the 20th. The searches turned up nothing. Come on, Brooke. I know you did it. (laughs) I know she did it. So, like, Norberta later tells a reporter that she felt like the police just did not give a shit about her daughter's disappearance. And they didn't care. And this is an eight-month pregnant, like, eight-month pregnant woman. Yeah. So... Obviously, Brooke and Hone are the only suspects in her disappearance, but the police didn't get any information of value. Of course not. This changed, however, when they stopped by the roofing company where Hone worked. They began questioning Hone's workmates, and it became clear that Hone and and Brooke were big fat liars. Duh. Shocking to absolutely no one. I know. Continue. <laughs> Multiple employees at the company told them that Hone had a new baby at home. But there had been no sign of a baby during the searches of the oh apartment. Oh my god. Oh my god. So what's it. setting in? So the it. reports of Hone and Brooks' new baby were enough to grant the police a warrant to once again search the apartment. And they did on August 24th. This time, they finally saw something. Cruz, Brooke, Brooke Cruz was in the apartment. There, on the bed, was a healthy baby girl. 
So police arrested Brooke Cruz right then and there, and Hone was arrested at work. Fuck them. What did they do? What did they do? I knew that was going to be it. I knew it. I was like, it's about the baby. Oh, yeah. But, like, I vaguely remember a story of a woman. This happened more than once. Because oh, remember, men steal children and women steal babies. Yeah, but like from the womb. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember hearing stories of like this woman who like performed a C-section on a woman. Oh, oh, that's that's gracious of you. So a pair of kayakers were out on the Red River and they're kayaking as kayakers often do. And they look at something and they think it's a log. It's never a log. It's never a log, kayakers. <laughs> Always and, assume it's a dead body. Oh, yeah. They look over and they see something tightly wrapped in plastic and duct tape, and it's a body. So three days after the baby was found, Savannah Graywin's body was discovered by the kayakers just across the border from Fargo in Moorhead, Minnesota. So a DNA test on the baby girl confirms that she was Savannah's and she was taken to live with her father. Father. So December 11, 2017, Brooke ple- pleaded guilty to charges of conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, lying to the police, and she wept through her testimony. Oh, Ex- shut the fuck up. Brooke. Oh, yeah. She, there's so much remorse for this heinous crime. Here's what she said. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. There is no excuse. There is no rationalization. There is nothing. My actions devastated a family and shocked the community that I called home. Shut the fuck up. You knew she- what you were doing. God, I hate her so much. That was premeditated. Yeah. Because she Kate, she asked Savannah to come to the apartment under the pretense of modeling a maternity dress for her. And then what follows? Let me tell you how they did it. Because you, I know you're wondering. Um, so Savannah arrives. Cruz, Brooke, Brooke, the bitch. Mm-hmm. started an argument with her. The two ended up fighting in the bathroom where she pushed she pushed Savannah, causing her to hit her head on the sink and fall unconscious. Then Brooke goes into the kitchen, gets a kniff, and returns to the bathroom and haphazardly does the thing. And pulls the baby out. C-section. Oh, my God. No. Oh, no. This is not a C-section. She just, like, goes for it and hopes for the best. Um, Savannah is drifting in and out of consciousness due to the loss of blood. So, Brooke is cleaning up the blood from the bathroom floor. Uh, Hone returns home from work to find Cruz holding the newborn. This is our baby. This is our family. And Hone asks her if Savannah's dead. And she doesn't know and asks for help. So Hone leaves and goes to the bathroom. Oh, wait, no. 
He doesn't go to the bathroom yet. He goes and gets some rope, tightens it around Savannah's neck until she is no longer breathing, and says, if she wasn't dead before, she is now. What a sociopath. Uh, yeah. So they stash the body in a closet in the bathroom and finish cleaning up everything, right? But remember, the police come pretty quickly. Yeah. So these knotheads had to have cleaned this up pretty fucking fast. So not only did these idiots clean up pretty fast, but the police did not search. Yeah, they obviously did jack shit. They just like, like... They should have had a warrant to search and get forensic evidence. They didn't open the closets? I hope I hope the mom and the boyfriend sued that police off like that police station so hard. I hope so too. I hope they got so much money for that daughter like to live her best life without her mom. Jesus. God damn it. People are so vile. Like they were not exactly Moriarty here, okay? Yeah, no, they're idiots. They're they're white redneck idiots. Home later, like, testified that each time the apartment got searched, he was in bed. The baby was under the blanket next to him. Are you fucking... (laughs) I I need a couple months to process this because this is what I'm talking about when I say, like, police department ineptitude. Oh, yeah. And how little they gave a shit about this eight-month pregnant young woman because she was native don't believe that police departments are csi miami or like law and order svu olivia benson trust that cares more than all police officers together sometimes yeah no it's it's bad so you know how the police came and searched on august 20th Mm -hmm. like they'd searched a couple times and then they came on august 20th well, he had hollowed out a dresser and put her body in it. So in the early hours of the 21st, that's when they took the dresser in their Jeep, drove it to the bridge, and tossed it over the side into the Red River. Good Lord. So her body was found six days later, not in the dresser. Um, I don't think the dresser was found. But, yeah. Brooke confirmed. Yeah, I know, right? Brooke confirmed that Hone demanded that she produce a baby and that he didn't know she was going to murder Savannah to find one. Yeah, but his response was to kill her when he saw her body instead of calling the police. So I don't really. Yeah. Like, while Brooke testified that, I mean, he had strangled Savannah. So, but apparently an inmate of Brooks testified that Brooke was the one who had strangled Savannah. So, who fucking knows? Like, at that point, she probably was like, I want to be the craziest bitch in here. Who knows? Yeah. But Savannah ultimately, it was, like, unknown what actually did take Savannah's life. The blood loss or strangulation. The autopsy only listed her death as a homicidal violence. Um, so Brooke was sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. 
and Hone uh, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit kidnapping, lying to the police. He was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder, to which he pleaded not guilty. He was tried and acquitted of this charge. I hate everything. He was originally sentenced to life in prison, but the sentence was overturned in the North Dakota Supreme Court, and then he was resentenced to 20 years in prison. I hate that. God fucking damn it. He still helped get rid of the body. He was complacent. He was totally complacent. He helped hide the child. He was the reason it happened. I... (sighs) Yeah, no, there's so much there. There's so much there. And, of course, he gets the lesser charge. Or lesser sentence. Of course. But really, I feel like more happened there. Yeah. So, the baby was named Hazley Joe, which was picked out before Savannah was taken from us. She actually was remarkably healthy through the whole ordeal. Like... She made it through. Good for her. And Ashton became a father at 22, of course, so he had to grow up quickly. Yeah. Which, dealing with the loss of his seven-year-long girlfriend, that's got to be rough. Yeah. And becoming a father, he has said that it was extremely difficult to come to terms with having a baby and not Savannah. But he and his daughter are very tight, and he's not alone. He has his family, Savannah's family, and the tribe, the Spirit Sioux, or Spirit Lake Sioux tribe. Um, so I wish Hazley, them all the best. I know. She's about to turn three, and she's uh, described as calm and happy, always smiling. I could, oh man, that's the best ending. Like, well, so there is an act that actually was just signed called savannah's act so it passed the house and it's a bill that required the department of justice to strengthen training coordination data collection and other guidelines related to cases of murdered or missing native americans it's aim it aims to address the alarming number of cases involving native women so the former north dakota senator heidi heitkamp First introduced this bill in 2017, and it's named Savannah's Act in honor of Savannah LaFontaine Greywind. Um, and just this year, it passed the Senate, and it was signed into action in October 10th. Um, so most indigenous women in the U.S. expect that they're going to be victims of violence. And almost 80% of Native women will experience some sort of physical abuse and over half will experience some form of uh, sexual assault. So when we talk about homicide rates, they seem to be the end result of these efforts to extinguish the lives of Native American women on reservations, and it hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. And that's a quote from Sarah Deer, Sarah Deer, D-E-R, D-E-E-R who is a professor of women, gender, and sexuality studies at the University of Kansas and a citizen of the Muskegee Creek Nation of Oklahoma. So uh, why is this all, like, gone unreported or un- investigated? Uh, 
Native people in general have gone under the radar. They are essentially invisible in our criminal justice system, and it's apparently difficult to investigate the crime. I don't find that to be an acceptable, like an acceptable answer. Uh, there's different agencies that have different directives or protocols, like the FBI, U.S. attorneys, tribal police, Bureau of Indian Affairs. How has that not been renamed yet? Um, but the effort to locate women has just not been coordinated. And so Savannah's Act uh, will assist in pulling this all together and really just bridging the gap that we need to start in the right direction. But again, it's only a start. And the best thing that we can do is make noise and say that we won't accept this crisis anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, I see that you're making a start, but Antoinette went missing 35 years ago. And it doesn't, it's unacceptable to say that, okay, we're starting now in 2020. No, you need to move faster. Agreed. You need to find these women. They matter now. You need to stop this violence. It matters right now. And I think it's beautiful that the movement has the saying, no more stolen sisters, because as a woman, I agree, no more stolen sisters. I don't want to see this continue as a human being, a fellow human being, but also we we have to get loud about it, and we have to scream that our Native sisters and non-binary um, and female-appearing women or humans are being targeted in a genocidal manner. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. And so there is a way to stay connected on nativewomenswilderness.org. There's a place to donate. So, um, Kelly, I have a thing I'm going to do. Are you ready? Yeah. So all of you listeners, I will be reminding everyone for the end of the year, if you donate to Native Women's Wilderness in the missing and mur- murdered and missing Indigenous women's cause, and you email me a receipt, it can be a dollar, it can be whatever you can, you will be entered in to win either the chance to be on an episode of the show, let's talk about the facts, or you'll be entered to win free merch, because not everybody is talkative like I am, so I'll have a number of winners, and I will be happy to make sure to pull through on that. That's awesome. I love this. So please donate. We will tweet about it, and um, hopefully let's all get loud. The hashtags are on the website get loud and deb Schilling is the person to follow to hear more about what's going on and to stay 
in the know about missing, murdered Indigenous women and what's going on politically and around the country, so to speak. So, yeah. This Any thoughts? Enlightening. No, I love that we talked about this. It just feels like... It, it needs to be talked about. It does. And it, this shouldn't this shouldn't be the first time that people are hearing about it. This shouldn't be the last time people are hearing about it. This should be common exactly. knowledge. It should be a common fight. Um, exactly. And we need to use the the pa- the privilege that we have yes. needs to be used to help them. Absolutely. Yes. Like no matter what you have or what you don't I feel this is the moment that we come together hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, and we say no more. Yeah. Absolutely no more. And no more stolen sisters. So possibly in the future we'll be covering more stories of missing and murdered indigenous women and giving people a platform who are affected directly. Um, But mostly we don't want these women to be forgotten and they are often overlooked in mass media. So here we are. We won't forget them. So, well, this was great. Thank you so much for having me on again. Of course. Thank you for being here, Kelly, going through this massive journey. And so this has been another episode of let's talk about the facts. We appreciate you listening through all the way. So usually I would plug the Patreon, but I'm not. I'm plugging the donation. And you know our email. It'll play in the outro. But for now, we look forward to having you with us next week. And at the random episode drop at some point somewhere. So thank you and goodbye. This podcast was surprisingly produced by me. Original music by Miranda Miller. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutFacts. That's T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. Or email recommendations to ltatfpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, friends.